4: And welcome back to the X-Zone. I am Rob McConnell coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send me an email, x exxon at x on all social media sites, x Radio TV. To find out about the programming we have available for you 24-7, 365 on the X-Zone Broadcast Network on the radio side, visit www.xzbn.net. And for the X-Zone TV channel... On SimulTV, go to simultv.com and in the search engine type in X Zone. Tonight, uh, this hour, I have two guests on. The first, uh, we're going to be talking about extraterrestrials. We're going to be talking about an area that is near Area 51 that was unknown until our guest this hour, Charles um, Paul, started talking about this years ago. Over the years, Charles has, you know, he has gone out there and he has told his story. But before we bring Charles on, I'd like to bring on his wife, Marie, who is going to bring us up to date over the past years that we haven't had the opportunity of talking to Charles or to Marie. And Marie, welcome back to the x
5: Well, thank you, Rob. And I want to tell you that mm. uh, we haven't been talking on any talk radio shows for several years now. Uh, We were getting an average of three invites a week, and that was just impossible for Charles to even consider doing because he was still working. Well, he turned 75, and I did convince him to retire um, last summer. Uh, The people wanted him to stay, you know, part-time as a consultant, Mm -hmm. and we both knew what that was going to be, and we said, no, really, it's time. So uh, he is retired now. I'm delighted. Uh, We celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary in November. Well,
4: congratulations to you
1: both.
5: Yeah. Some of that was hard time, I don't Mm. mind telling you, (laughs) but anyway, we... uh, We uh, enjoyed celebrating with most of our six children and most of our 13 grandchildren, which is kind of God's own miracle because we have a son living in uh, D.C. and another son living in Washington State, and getting them all together, you know, just doesn't happen that often. But anyway, we uh, decided uh, that we would love to be on your show again. Uh, fond memories of the two live interviews we had with you about 15 years ago. That's right, yeah. And we thought it would be a good way to uh, tell people a few things because Charles is uh, a bit shy about tooting his own horn. He (laughs) took uh, two years of his spare time while he was still working uh, to read in the Millennial Hospitality series. So It is available in audible format now through ACX, uh, a division of Amazon. And uh, of course, I wanted this to happen for years because uh, many years ago, uh, one of the first uh, presentations we gave, a couple came up to us afterwards. The husband was blind, and he said, You have to, you know, put your books in a format that I can enjoy and it, it, it's taken us a long time to get around to uh, doing that for him. But the really exciting news, and uh, when I looked at my emails, I realized that it's been in the works kind of for six years. Uh, in uh, January of 2014, a very talented filmmaker from Stockholm, Sweden, Uh, contacted us by email and he wanted to do something for uh swedish uh, tv i believe and uh it it didn't work out uh he he didn't say why uh maybe it was just his schedule because his uh, business uh, you know how he earns his living is making uh videos for one uh, entity or another right well anyway he uh contacted us again in 2017 Mm -hmm. and he sent us uh, some samples of his work he'd done a really nice portrait uh, video of a holocaust survivor he'd done work for the un i I was very impressed by what i saw but when i presented it to charles he said no no and Charles is the kind of guy. He he looks like a friendly, easygoing kind of guy, but he's really kind of a stubborn son of a bitch if you don't <laughs> mind my saying so. So after you know, uh, you know, just a ordinary attempt to get him to change his mind, I accepted no. Well, then a uh, year or so later, I I said. Uh, Honey, I really was impressed with Emil Marzak's work. Do you think you might reconsider? And at that time he said, Yeah, I guess we could think about doing that. So I sent an email email to Emil, and I asked him if he was still interested. Mind you, he wasn't going to charge us to do this. This was something that he was personally interested in, um, he uh, served as the video person for the Swedish Army in Afghanistan and Kosovo, and he had apparently read one of Charles' books while he was in the service. Now, this is a younger man. I mean, he falls in between my two oldest children. So, um, But anyway, he... Um, He said, yes, he definitely was still interested. And he was going to fly to Albuquerque and follow us around for, you know, four days or so. And I said, I have a better idea. And he said, what's that? And I said, well, we are putting on a four-hour event in Las Vegas next February, February 19th. He said, it's kind of a gift to our fans because uh, we were doing it at the Palace Station, you know, and it was fairly expensive to do this when, you know, we couldn't really anticipate a huge audience. We have fans all over the world, but uh, not everybody is going to drop everything and come to Las Vegas. So anyway, he said, uh, yeah, that sounds great. And I said, we'd be able to take you to Valley of Fire and Red Rock Canyon. By the way, did you see the trailer that I sent you in an email earlier yes, today? Yes, I
4: did. Yes, I did. Yeah. Did you like it? Yes, it was. Uh, it was Say golden. you liked it. <laughs>
5: okay. Well, anyway, um, so that's what happened. Mm. Uh, he and his first cousin flew over last February. And by the way, the uh, their uh, mother's, escaped from communist Poland so their mothers were not originally Swedish but anyway it was so much fun working with them so relaxing Uh, probably more relaxing than if we were spending time with our actual family and uh, we just we just really had fun Uh, and that's exactly what they did they collected footage during that uh, 4 hour session that we had at the Palace station but then uh you know we also uh, took them to church with us and and took them out to the Valley of Fire and so forth and uh you know he sent us the film beforehand he said uh, uh you know I, if there's anything you don't like I'll I'll take it out and um, this is one of the things that appealed to me especially because we had been courted by a uh, known Hollywood entity, you know, they gave us a contract to look at and I thought, oh my goodness, this is a shark pool that I don't ever want to try to swim in. Mm-hmm. And we'd also had a couple bad experiences, you know, there, there are always people that might like to exploit you, and uh, so anyway, this this turned out so nice, and so we'll be doing uh, the world premiere screening of the film, Walking with the Tall Whites, it's an hour and 22 minutes long, so it's a full-length movie, and that's going to happen in Laughlin, Nevada on February 15th, And uh, after that, it will be available to subscribers of Amazon Prime.
1: All
4: right. Now, Marie, we've got to take our break. Uh, Thank you very much. Already. (laughs) Already. Yeah, anyway, (laughs) when we come back from the commercial break, Charles Hall will be joining us here on the Exxon. That's
5: right. And And, uh, he's he's going to be excited. Okay.
4: All right. Thank you very much, Marie. Nice talking to you again. And Exxon Nation, once again. Charles Hall is going to be our guest this hour, and we'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue here in the X Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton. Whoops, let's try that again. In Niagara, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. This is the X-Zone. I am Rob McConnell. My guest this hour is Charles Hall. And uh, I had the, I've had the pleasure of talking to Charles many times over the years, not only during the here on the X-Zone, but as I've sat in for various hosts on different radio stations uh, over my past 30 years of doing this. Charles has a very interesting story um, And I'm going to tell you that I've had the pleasure of, of, like I said, talking to Charles over the years. And he is one of the most credible people that I've had the pleasure of talking to. So instead of me reading a bio about Charles, first of all, Charles, welcome back to the Exxon. It's been been way too long, but I'm so happy you're with us tonight. And I was wondering if you could tell our audience a little bit about yourself.
1: Um, Yes. Excuse me for coughing. Sure. Thank you for having me on, uh, and um, it's really a pleasure to be on on the Exxon with you uh, and to be back. Um, where would you like me to begin?
4: Well, Charles, why don't we begin at the beginning, how, you know, how you, you know, you were, in the, you were in the Air Force, you were a meteorologist, I believe, uh, and, and you worked in an area not very far from Area 51, Area 52.
1: Um... <clears throat> um y- yes um I enlisted in the Air Force in July 19 uh, in July of 1964 mm-hmm. and after doing 13 weeks of basic training and tech school in Illinois I um, I, I, be- I was a uh, trained weather observer mm-hmm. and I was stationed at Nellis Air Force Base Nevada which is outside Las Vegas and um, um, And I arrived there in early spring of 1965. And Nellis is the in 1965 was the home of the fighter weapons school, and they were the they they had a auxiliary field at Mm -hmm. Indian Springs. Now it's called Creech Air Force Base at Indian Springs, but back then it was the Indian Springs Auxiliary Field and it was the back door to Area 51. When you went up Indian Springs Valley, and um, forgive my cough, but it's just an allergy. When you go up, in 1964 and 1965 and in those years, Indian Springs was the tiniest auxiliary field you can imagine. And when you went up the Indian Springs Valley, you had to go up there like 40 miles the, the original dreamland was the northern half of Indian Springs valley, and at the very northern end there was areas fifty three and fifty four when you and fifty three was when uh, as the weather observer, I was stationed out there for most of the two and a half or two plus years I spent mm-hmm. at Nellis Air Force Base i most of that time I spent at Indian Springs or in the other secret areas. Area fifty one is just in nineteen sixty five was just the entry, the portal area. The area numbers went from fifty one all the way up to sixty. And area fifty one area fifty one itself was only called Groom Lake and Area 51 itself is only 6 miles by 10 miles. Mm. And, air, and when Eisenhower had made the Open Skies Agreement with the Russians, the Open Skies Agreement gave the Russians, the uh, by treaty, the right to fly over Area 51 while coordinating with the U.S. Air Force on the Open Skies Agreement and take pictures. And so Area 51 itself, did not have aliens in it. the aliens were in areas fifty three and fifty four and uh, um and the other and fifty five and fifty seven all the way up to sixty. The areas were arranged into lands, so dreamland was area fifty three fifty area fifty four and the northern half of Indian springs Valley. Then there were other lands there was a space land there was gray land. Uh, which I refer to in my books as the Valleys of the Greys, and so on. And, um, and of course, before I went as a weather observer, I had to always be alone. And I was given a special clearance. I could go anywhere I wanted. Once I went up the valley in Indian Springs, I could just keep going. I could go anywhere I wanted, day or night, especially in dreamland, and um, and and the other areas as well, but normally Dreamland. And day or night, um, no, nobody could ever stop me. Nobody could ever say no. No one could ever ask me questions. I was never briefed. I was never debriefed. But the rule was very simple. I always had to be all by myself. And I could take myself anywhere I wanted, but if I got in trouble... I had all by myself, I had to bring myself back or die trying. No help would ever be sent. And during the two plus years that I was there, there were several times that I almost died out there. And I tried to capture those memories, those memoirs in my in Millennial Hospitality series of books. I don't know how good a job I did because When you go, when you're out in the desert by yourself, if anything goes wrong, your life is on the line. Whether it's winter or summer, the desert is a very harsh environment. And um, and I wasn't the first one to be sent up there. And according to the logbooks at the at the different ranges, Indian Springs had four different ranges and weather stations in all of them so I was king of over... I was the only weather observer to handle all four weather observ stations and I was right. in charge yes. of all four weather stations on all four ranges and and they all had log books and mm-hmm. when I looked at the log books it, for at least the, the log books went back for 7 years before I got there in 1965 and during that time I estimated that there were 41 at least forty-one weather observers who had been sent up there before me and all of them had been compromised Hmm. Uh, about eighty percent or seventy-five eighty percent had become after just two or three days had become terrified of the ranges and wouldn't go out on the ranges at all other a a number of others were Burned or were attacked or were otherwise so terrified that they wouldn't go back. I was the first one that went out there and got terrified and came back in and overcame my fears and went out there again. Well, what I was, was the one that stayed? What and, was it that
4: terrified you, Charles?
1: Well, when you go up to the in when in the, before there was now, nowadays there's Creech Air Force Base, so. Mm-hmm. The ranges don't exist, but in 1964 and 65, when the Fighter Weapons School was running, when you went up the Indian Springs Valley and you got to those mountains at the very northern end, they're like 41 miles up there or so, and I was all over those mountains back in 65, 66, 67. They're, they're in Area 53. If you, if you look straight north from Indian Springs, the mountains straight north and to the east, that's Area 53, and that's an alien base for the tall whites. It was in 1964 and 1965, and the place where the tall white extraterrestrials, that was their hangar area, their base area, and, the, and the, their living area was Area 54. If you looked straight north at the same mountains and looked to the west, then Area 54 That was the housing area, and they were all tunneled in in those mountains. Now, if you look at the map, if you look straight north and then you look over at the next valley, Dogbone Valley, Dogbone Lake was the landing ground for the tall, white, deep spacecraft. They would come in on schedule and leave on schedule. In the base, the the permanent residents, aliens, the tall whites who lived there, they had scout craft that they would use the way we use cars. But they also had a hangar where they made the so-called black cars, and those were over in Dogbone. But That hangar was over in that garage-type area was over in Dogbone Lake. When you went straight up the valley to the northeast, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, to the northwest, you went up through a pass towards S4 and the turnoff to Area 52, and when you went up that valley in between the mountains of Area 53 to, and 54 to the north of you, and the mountains on the south side of that road, tunneled in on both sides of that road, that was their supply warehouses. That's where the American Air Force would deliver supplies to. And, the, and in 1964, 1965, I, was, I, I, I could go anywhere up in there, including Area 52 and all those places, right. But I had to be alone, and when you say when you say "What is there to be afraid of, I could do it day or night and And it took me a significant amount of time so i so, 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 'm going to say several months, but when you 're terrified, sometimes you 're not sure but it took me when I first went up there, it took me a while to overcome the terror of just encountering the tall whites. Out in the desert, there was no briefing. There was nobody. All I was told was that the Indian Springs Valley had the legend of Range Four Harry.
4: All right, stand by, Charles. We've got to take a news break at the bottom of the hour. Exonation. Sure. Charles Hall is my special guest this hour. www millennialhospitality.com is the website and Charles and I will be back on the other side of this news break whatever you do, don't go away you are not going to want to miss the rest of this hour
3: Progressive presents Forest Metaphors about bundling your home and auto
4: XO Nation, Charles Hall is my very special guest this hour. We're talking about uh, Charles' encounters with the Tall Whites, uh, who were, and I would imagine still are, extraterrestrials from another planet, another place.
1: That's correct. Uh-huh.
4: And um, Charles, what was it like the first time that you that you saw these ETs that no one had told you about?
1: Well, the... Um, the the very first time that I encountered mm-hmm. them, the, until until you understand what what you're looking at and you know what you're what's going on around you, the, the, you there's such a tendency to question yourself, you know. So, like the first time you'd see, and if you're up close to them, mm-hmm. you, you can't describe the fear, the terror. It's the fear and the terror of the unknown. I, and so, it took me the first. It took me several months, or several weeks, or quite a while to get over to get over the phase where, when I would see them, I would think. At at first, I thought I was dreaming and that's why the area was called dreamland because everyone has that most people have that sensation and then you think maybe it's you're hallucinating or maybe there's something wrong with you and then what and then and then when you start realizing like you see them open the door and you realize that you're not hallucinating there's terror and panic that you just naturally feel because because you know they're intelligent you know it's the fear of the unknown and and you have to you have to work through those, and see one of the problems the men before me had was that they didn't have enough psychological defenses to handle it, to handle the fear. Mm-hmm. Because to get over the fear, what you have to do is you have to train your unconscious. You have to be around them enough to train your unconscious, so that so that you have in effect. Thought through everything you're going to do, based on what they might do. For example, if they start coming in and they get too close to you, you know, uh, you, you know, the, 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 you're going to feel you're going to feel terror. Well, what do you do? Do you throw rocks and start screaming, or do you just, you know, do as I did, learn to do to back up and I never did to back up and put your back to the north wall of my generator shack. And just stand there praying, and saying, "Please stay back." I'm afraid, you know. All those and psychological—you have to have your psychological defenses. Mm-hmm. So pretty soon, there comes a time where you where where you have unc- where you have thought through where the unconscious part of your brain has has got all of its ducks in a row, and you say, "Well, you know." Uh, so one of the first deals I made with them, and they were very easy to deal with was that if I were out in the sagebrush walking and I saw one of them, which was very common, then I would just stop where I was and I would sing songs and make sounds until I was certain they knew I was there. Because they're always well-armed and you never want to surprise them. Part of the reason you're afraid is because if you scare them, they may fire on you. And then, and then I would I would never pursue them. I would just stand there, and then I would wait until for them to make the next move. And then, if they wanted to talk to me, they would have to approach me. And if they, and as they came towards me, I would just stand there. And if, and I, we had agreed that if they got so close that I, which certainly happened, especially in the early days, where I would feel afraid then I would start backing away while singing my song. And they agreed that when they saw me back away, they would just stop where they were. And we would, in effect, negotiate a distance, you know, where they felt comfortable and I felt comfortable, and then we could talk. Sometimes that distance Mm -hmm. was a mile and a half, okay? Sometimes it was 20 feet. It just depended, you see. And then if they wanted to leave, they could just leave at any time, and I would never pursue and conversely, they agreed that if I got afraid and that I wanted to leave, I would just back away and leave, and they wouldn't pursue me. And so that you all and and that made it possible to to, to progress and to get used to talking to them. Because remember, the the tall whites and the greys and the Norwegians with 24 teeth. Because I've been and I've been personally I've personally been talking face to face with. All three—the grays from Roswell, the tall whites, and the Norwegians from 20, with 24 teeth—that I describe in my books. When you're talking, in order to talk to them, in order for those groups to talk to, for me to, for me and them to communicate, you have to be—you have to get to where you feel uh, there's always a certain tension. But you have to get past panic mode, okay? You have to get past, you have to get to where you can just stand there and quietly be yourself and let the brain, let the blood flow around your brain, you know? Because if you get afraid, the brain shuts down half of the brain cells and you need them to, to keep yourself safe. So you have to get to where you are using all the cells in your brain to decide the answer to the simple question, what will I do next? Will I take a step backwards? Will I just stand here and wait? Will I answer? Will I, not, you know, it seems as we sit here in our safe environments, that seems like like kind of a um, like why wouldn't everybody do that? But I speak from direct experience when when you drive the truck a hundred more than a hundred miles and you're out in Area 52. At night, and you've parked the truck and at your weather shack, and you've hiked in—I uh, don't know—12 miles into a into a valley, and you uh, a dry lake bed with a dry lake bed and a mountain, and and dug uh, and dug out caves up there entrances, tunnels up uh, above the old water lines, and you see that there are gray aliens in there at the entrance watching you, and it's on a night with a with a partial moon and kind of cold and windy and you're just doing this because you're wondering because you're curious and and now you're in order to you're all by yourself and you're not armed mm-hmm. and and you now realize that if they feel like killing you they can just do so with, with impunity because because i i was in an area where no other human had been allowed for a very very long time and what I was wondering was, what about in for the valleys of the Greys? There were seven guys in the seven or eight years before me that one at a time had gone in there, and had never been seen again. Charles? The only thing that was ever found of them was one of one one of their trucks was found parked on a highway, on the outside of Las Vegas, and uh, and 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 I was and and I was just curious. Mm-hmm if Maybe they had vanished up in that valley, and now after walking up in there, it's now necessary to walk back. And as you're walking back, you just, you, you notice you can hear sounds that in the sagebrush behind you, uh, on both sides of you, and behind you on the trail, you're being paralleled. You know, the guard, the gray guards are have are. are kind of hurting you like cattle and the fear that you get the fear and I speak from direct experience the terror that you feel you know you have to have total control of yourself there you know there's no place to run to no place to hide there you know you you know I took myself in there mm-hmm. it's time for me to carefully bring myself back
4: Charles, and, why, order, Charles, yeah. why and did
1: so you... that's where the fear comes from
4: why would the united states air force send you into a into an area like that were they aware that the that the et's were there
1: they were quite aware that they were there and they all had their reasons they had and they there were reasons for it i described them in my i describe a few of the Mm -hmm. reasons in the books but see i was never briefed they see i was they would just say I'd like you to go in there and take a weather, to release a weather balloon and measure the winds at midnight. And, you know, a weather observer is already trained, what to do if you see an aircraft accident, what to do if, you know, and mm-hmm. just record it and just have fun and come out. And on paper, it would, it would seem like it was the best job in the world. But you see, they wouldn't. They, one time I asked one of the guards from one of the intelligence agencies why I'd never been briefed. Um, and, he, and he said, he, he, he said it's because if there were anybody giving a briefing, I would be the only one that knew enough to do the briefing. And now they had made arrangements. Now, I was only an enlisted man. I was only a, I'd enlisted. And I, I in 1965, I, out of tech school, I only had one stripe. And then I remember getting my second stripe. And see, see, the aliens had been here for a very long time. The grays, the gray aliens of Roswell, um, I estimated that they were here at least by the middle of the last ice age. And that's because out in those valleys, out in the desert southwest, there are places where the tunnels they created were above the lo- highest water line from the ice age. In the ice age, those dry lake beds were full of water, and they did created tunnels that were above that water line. All right, Charles. And, Charles, and
4: we're going to have to take the, our final break, so please stand by. When we come back, we'll finish about the tunnels, the greys, and much sure. more. Charles Hull is my special guest, Exonation. Nation, www.millennialhospitality.com. And as I was saying, when we come back from this commercial break, we'll be wrapping up this hour here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away.
2: Progressive
3: presents Forest Metaphors, about bundling your home and auto.
4: Welcome back, Exo Nation. All I can say is that I've I've had the opportunity uh, to talk to Charles many times, and uh, Charles, I don't know how you how you did it, my friend, but I'm glad that you did, and I'm glad that you've been able to to report and let the world know exactly what you saw. But there is a question I have for you, Charles. Sure. How come you're the only person that has ever come forward at at a conference with the press? Or even written a book about Area Fifty Two, Fifty Three, and the other areas and encounters with ETs.
1: Uh, I'm not sure, but I know that the um, and uh, um, I'll finish saying one thing, and then I'll continue on in that vein that mm-hmm. you asked. Um, I, I pers- the i my estimate is that the. A, that the gray aliens of Roswell, mm-hmm. so, so all three aliens have fat traveling family groups. They have men, women, and children, oh. and the aliens of the alien the, the and I describe them in my in my books, especially in book five, especially I compare all three in book five. The gray aliens I estimate were here by at least the middle of the last ice age, fifteen twelve thousand, fifteen thousand BC. And I, and, they ha, and their planet, their home planet i don 't know exactly where it is, but I estimated it I estimated guessed it to, to only be like ten light ten eleven twelve light years away it 's not as far away as zeta reticulate because when you see their deep spacecraft as I have, as well as their scout craft they can 't cover it didn 't appear to me that they could cover fifty one light years of space in one in one in one shot. Mm-hmm. and on the other hand, the tall whites got here second. They were here by. They got here after the Greys did, and they got here. I estimate that they were here by 5,000 BC. The third ones, the and and their writing looks like hieroglyphs, pink against white. If you didn't, if if you didn't know better, you'd think that Egyptian hieroglyphs were a distillation of their bigger set of hieroglyphs. And the third one, they Norwegians with twenty-four teeth—they came from a very close-by star, like, like four, like five and a half light years away or so. And their tech, the whites have the best technology. The greys have intermediate technology. Both of their craft can travel faster than the speed of light. But the Norwegians with twenty-four teeth—they know how to reduce the forces of inertia, so they can make the crossing from say five and three-quarters light years in twenty Earth years. And they look. They they got. They started arriving about the year 750 A.D., and they come on. They come. They come periodically. The Norwegians with 24 teeth I described in my books, and and um, and they look so much like us that you know you, you, one could be certain, And they've been here for so long. They don't. Many mm-hmm. of them aren't aware that of their origins. They just think they're humans who got here to or, who immigrated to to um... norway or to america wherever they came from uh... you, you know like um, five hundred years ago or so 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 um... so each one of the three travel in family groups and you treat each one of them differently now the the uh, the in terms of interacting with them one time i asked a guy who identified himself as the highest ranking psychiatrist in the cia i didn't go to him he had he just come. He he had just come to stop by to make sure that I was still alive and okay, and he, and he, and um, of course he was the equivalent of a one star general, although he was in the medical profession. And I asked him exa- that question, why I survived when the ones before me didn't, yeah. and he said it's because of the psychological defenses. He said. That the other guys sometimes would realize that they were up against. He didn't know exactly what was out there, but he said he realized what it was they were up against too soon, like in the, after only two or three days, and that isn't nearly enough time for the sub, for the uh, human subconscious to per, to be prepared for the shock. He said he thought the reason that I survived and was able to talk about it and made friends and uh, made more headway than anybody was because I had so many defenses, what the generals wanted what our gen- the t- what arch generals wanted and what the tall white generals wanted and to a lesser extent the gray generals, but mostly the tall white generals, what they wanted was a human like me that had overcome his fears because for the in the case of the tall whites when they come here. They're, they're, they're more afraid of us than we are of them. And even though they live longer and have the best technology, they, kind of think, they feel kind of the way you and I would feel if we were out in the woods and encountered Bigfoot, you know? And, and it takes them a while. And so what I was was the test human. See, I wasn't part of any program. I wasn't supposed to do anything. I was just supposed to go out and take the weather report and come back alive. Well, of course, then what they would do is practice overcoming their fears to come up and talk to me. Well, of course, first, I had to overcome my fear and be willing to stand there and be talked to. Well, they'd tried that with 41 men before me, and see, those men had never made it to square one. Uh, that they, 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 see, You know, because they had never gotten to where they could just stand there and say, Good evening, uh, you know, uh, yeah. uh, uh, um... You know, I hope you're enjoying the evening, and just talk with them the way you and I would talk if we were happened to bump meet each other out in the desert, sure. out in the sagebrush on a beautiful summer starry night. Well, now that meant that from my, the, I believe it's because the other men who knew they were out there, the the very few who were the tiny handful that knew they were out there, had never quite gotten to that place where I did. And that's why the generals loved me, was because, on the one hand, I was expendable, but on the other hand, once the tall whites had gotten used to talking with me, remembering they're always coming in family groups and the adults are always armed, well, then that meant that those tall whites could interact with, with American scientists or do technology transfer, talk to generals and talk to quality folk, you know? you know they could, you know then they, could, then, then they could then they could go and talk with other generals you know but first they had to come and practice talking to me to overcome their fear of being that close into humans now the regular base crew the permanent crew that manned the bases they weren't afraid of humans but you know, but the but the ones who came, the the ones who arrived on the deep spacecraft, the diplomats, the tech, the the scientists, mm-hmm. and so on, that were supposed to do technology transfer with the American government in return, turned for basing Char- rights. Charles, uh, Charles, we had the practice with me. Yeah. Kate
4: Charles, we're running out of time really fast. But like I was saying, huh? like, we're running out of time very fast. But like I was sure. saying before. How come you're the only person that ever talks about Area 52, Area 53, talks about the interaction of extraterrestrials in that area when there were so when there were other people out there as well?
1: I don't know, but remember the history of Indian Springs, back in the 40s there was a guy whose nickname was Dirty Moe, the campground at Indian Springs used to be the Dirty Moe campground. And back when you back in the year nine two thousand, when you went when I went, used the browser to go to the Indian Springs website, it was mm-hmm. like seventy eighty percent the history of Dirty Mo, who claimed that he was a prospector that went out there in the late twenties and thirties and early forties, and claimed that he had encountered the tall extraterrestrials, and now when you go to that same website mm-hmm. for Indian Springs. You know, you all, you can't find any reference to Dirty Mo. After I published my first three books, I sent a single email to the guy that was running the website for Indian Springs, and I said, I found the interest, you're, you know, what you were publishing on Dirty Mo, really interesting, um, you know, and he was referencing a book. I was saying, where can I buy the book? and the And I sent the email one day, and the very next day, they took down the website,
4: oh my and then
1: later the government wanted them to even change the name of the campground that used to be Dirty Moose Campground. Now it's called something else, like the Western Mountain Campground or something. Mm. And I suspect that the other guys, if uh, the other guys, if they did write a book or refer to that might have been encountering the same thing. I, some of the things of that you would like the Nellis Instant of nineteen six September, nineteen sixty eight that used to be on the evening news in nineteen sixty eight and used to be part reference used to be referenced in UFO books, the you know, as the years go by I've seen those books vanish off the just vanish mm-hmm. from public view, from the library and so on. And not just the books about me, but I've seen other books, like the guy who went out to Area 52, back in the late 19 in the late early 1960s, to repair a light at a facility, and I was in that facility, so I know exactly where he was and what he was doing. Charles, and now you can't even find that. So there, there is also that aspect to it.
4: Charles, unfortunately, we've run out of time for tonight. I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. Mm-hmm. Always a great pleasure talking to you. I wish you continued success. And uh, Exo Nation, if you'd like more information about our very special guest this hour, Charles Hall, visit his website, You ready? Here we go, millennialhospitality.com.
1: And see us at Laughlin at the the, um, UFO. All right,
4: thanks very much, Charles. All right, we'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the Exo from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. Wow. Fact fiction? You be the judge. Send me an email. Tell me what you think about the interview you just heard with Charles Hall. My email address is exxon at com. We'll be back on the other side of this news. Don't go away.